Well, if you brought a Bible this morning, I'll encourage you to grab it. Uh, and we're going to eventually get to Colossians chapter 1 this morning, but we're going to hop around for a little bit. Uh, but like we said at the beginning, today is a day that we're celebrating and remembering specifically the death of Jesus. That some 2,000 years ago on this Friday, Jesus was crucified, nailed to a tree, and he died. And every year, Christians all over the world celebrate and call this day Good Friday. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's a little odd that we would call such a um, horrific event that took place as Good Friday, right? And, and why on earth would we celebrate and remember uh, the execution of someone? Uh, and then we take the cross, which is the most painful mode of dying, and we put it in our churches. Many of you have it, you know, hung around your neck or you get it tattooed on your body. Um, it would be similar to like getting an electric chair and putting it on a necklace and we walk around with it. it on surface level, it can seem odd. Why do we call this horrific event that happened? Well, this is Good Friday, probably the greatest Friday that has ever happened, um, this year for the Easter season as a church, we've been focusing on the beauty of this story. The beauty of the, the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And really, it is the greatest story that has ever been told. And it's actually true. It, it actually happened. And so our theme for this morning is the beautiful sacrifice and we want to talk about, well, what actually makes this sacrifice so beautiful? Why is this so universe-changing, what took place on that day? Because most of us know the events. If you've grown up in the church or you've seen, you know, uh, media depict the events that took place on this Friday. But many of us are aware, right? We know that Jesus was betrayed and he was arrested, that he, that he stood in front of a trial, in front of the religious leaders and Pilate, and it was just a sham of a trial. We know that the soldiers mocked Jesus and beat him and put a crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe and spit on him and pulled his beard out. We know that Jesus was flogged nearly to death, that he was forced to carry his own cross out of the city, and he was so weak that he couldn't even make it all the way, and someone had to carry his cross for him. We know that he was nailed to a cross through his hands and his feet, and a sign was put above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. Many of us are aware that in the middle of the day, darkness came over all of the land, and Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he breathed his last breath, and he yielded his spirit, and he died. Many of us know, right, that the soldiers came and pierced his side, and blood and water flowed out, that he was taken off the cross, and he was put in a tomb. But what does all of that, those horrific events, what does that have to do with our salvation? How does the death of Jesus save us? Why would we say that it's this beautiful sacrifice? Um, even in our culture, in our day and age, we still understand the idea of sacrifice because we, we, we talk about it in our, in our culture. So let me just give you an example. You, you, if you watch baseball, which many of you are like, 
rather die than watch baseball. But if you watch baseball, right, what, what do we call it when one player bunts so that he, he knows he's going to get out, but he's going to advance the runner? What's that called? A sacrifice bunt, right? And so we, we, we get the idea. You are going to sacrifice your, you're going to get out, but for the greater good for our team, that person's going to advance to second. So it's a sacrificed uh, sacrifice bunt. We, we talk about soldiers who make the ultimate sacrifice. And usually we mean that they died serving to fight uh, tyranny and, and oppression. And so we say of soldiers, oh, he gave the ultimate sacrifice. If you play chess, you know that sometimes you have to sacrifice your pawns for an advantage later on. And there's strategy to it. But you you, you, you let your pawn be, be taken out, but it's for a greater good later on. Um, we would talk, you know, maybe there's a professional person who has no husband or wife or no kids, but they say, well, I don't want to sacrifice my career, so I'm going to not pursue that. I'm going to sacrifice a family, but it's for this greater good, my career. Um, if you're a parent, right, you know that you sacrifice, mainly sleep, but you sacrifice as a parent to help your kids succeed. You, you give up of yourself and you make sacrifices. Um, a sacrifice is when something of value is relinquished, but the purpose is that you're trying to gain a, a greater good. So in the short term, you sacrifice something, but it's for the future. It's for a greater good that you're serving. So imagine this. I want you to imagine Jesus teaches... And he does ministry for three and a half years, and he has a, a group of disciples, and he has followers, and there's kind of uh, this, this popularity growing, but then he's crucified. He's nailed to a cross. And we know, because we're going to celebrate on Sunday, that he rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. But you have to imagine and understand that the Christians, those first Christians, they had no New Testament yet. That came later. As the apostles like Peter and Paul wrote about here's why the death and resurrection of Jesus is so significant. The first Christians didn't have that. And so you have to imagine that they must have poured over the Old Testament scriptures trying to understand, okay, how does the terrible death of Jesus, how does that save us? And how has that been in God's mind and his plan all along? So this morning I want to lead us through some Old Testament examples of sacrifice to understand the significance of what took place on Good Friday. Why the, the idea of sacrifice since the beginning sheds amazing light on the crucifixion of Jesus. Why is Jesus our sacrifice? And why is that so important and so crucial to our salvation? So if you read the Old Testament, if you go back to the very beginning, and many of you uh, know this, but things go wrong for humanity very, very quickly. <laughs> And we read in Genesis 1 and 2 that God creates these first human beings and he places them in a garden and, and there's no sin, right? Adam and Eve enjoyed relationship and intimacy with God. We're told that God would come and walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. There was closeness there. There wasn't brokenness. There wasn't sin and wickedness among humanity, but they very quickly chose to rebel, didn't they? they? They believed lies about God. They wanted to be God. And then that relationship and, and intimacy was fractured and broken. And sin came into the world. And not only did it wreck 
uh, Adam and Eve's relationship with each other, not only did it affect all of creation that the ground now is broken and there's thorns and thistles, but more importantly, the relationship between humanity and God was fractured and broken. They couldn't be in his presence anymore. And as you read Genesis, it just becomes more and more and more and more sin. Like since the beginning, humanity has not been progressing and getting better. We've been getting worse and worse and worse. If you read Genesis, then not long after that, there's the first murder. And and then you get to Genesis 6, and God looks at humanity, and what does he say? He says, every thought that they have, every intention of their heart is evil all the time. And it just goes from worse to worse to worse, just brokenness and sin, just spreading like cancer throughout humanity. And then you fast forward, and God chooses a a people, and then they're slaves in Egypt, the Israelites, and God saves his people, and he establishes a covenant with them. But the question still remains, how can a perfect, holy, just, and awesome God be with his people who are sinful, depraved, and wicked? How is this relationship going to work? And so we're introduced in the Old Testament to the idea of sacrifice. And the point of sacrifice in the Old Testament is that the Israelites could not come near to God as they were living in their guilt. And so God then said, well, I'm going to provide a means for you to to live in my presence so that I can be your God and you can be my people. And that means is sacrifice. Another life, unblemished and blameless, has to be offered instead of your own life. Right? The Israelites couldn't just go, hey, I'm going to go and see God in the temple. I'm just going to stroll in. You want to know what would happen to them? They would die. And so God said, I'm going to give you the means so that you can be my people and you can be in closeness with me. Um, even Leviticus 1.3 gives us an example of people approaching God. It says, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So what that tells us is that human beings on our own, we're not acceptable before God, just as we are, right? We're sinful and something has to happen to deal with that sin before we're acceptable. Something must take place to make us acceptable to God. The gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of Man is so great that a sacrifice had to be made on a regular basis. There had to be atonement made. That means payment for sin. Sin just can't be set aside and forgotten because then there wouldn't be justice. So what does this show us? It shows us that our sin costs something. And so throughout the Old Testament law, you read that God institutes animal sacrifices. People with sin would come and kill an animal, and it was this symbolic thing where the sacrificial animal took the place of the person needing forgiveness. The blood of the animal provided atonement. It covered that person. And I know many of us in, you know, 21st century, the West, we go, ugh, blood sacrifice. That sounds so awful. And and you could go, well, why blood? Why did God demand blood? Do you know why God demands blood he he tells us Leviticus 17 11 for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life Hebrews 9 says indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins 
So to put it another way, the reason God says something has to die to pay for your sin is because that is the ultimate cost to the giver. Like a sacrifice isn't a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you something. So even think um, about the gifts that we give. Um, when, when you receive a gift from someone, if you know that that gift um, cost them something, you, you hold it as more dear, don't you? Right? You, we all open the, the envelope from, from your rich uncle that has five bucks in it. You're like, wow, thanks. That really cost you a lot. Right? We just go, that didn't cost him anything. Right? He didn't even think about that. But, I mean, my, my mom is very... Um, artsy and, and craftsy, and um, there's, there was one Christmas where she actually handmade uh, each of my kids like a stuffy, right? One was a kangaroo, and one was a bunny, and one, but like handmade by their Nina, right? Their Nana, and my kids love that gift. It is far more meaningful to them than a $5 bill, and some of you are like, my kids would rather have $5, but the, if a gift costs someone, right, it took my mom hours to make this gift, and if you know that my mom has uh, an autoimmune disease that makes her hands really, really sore, and she sat there, and she made stuffies for my kids, you go, man, my mom sacrificed to give my kids a gift. It cost her something. And many of you know, like you've, you've received gifts where you go, I know that this gift cost that person some, something. It was a sacrifice, and those gifts mean much more to us. That's why blood had to be shed, because it costs something. So how did the sacrificial system work in the Old Testament? Are we to assume that just everything ran smoothly, and people loved God, and they just killed animals, and everything is good to go. Right? If, you, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that it's the opposite of that. That even, if, even as God gives them ways to, here's how you're going to deal with your sin. Here's how you're going to sacrifice. Here's how you're going to live in relationship with me. Society and humanity continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Because humanity's problem goes much deeper than, than just the bad things that we do. Our hearts are hard, and human beings are naturally rebels against God. I heard one author say, um, you aren't a sinner because you sin. You sin because inherently you are a sinner. You are a rebel against God. So the problem goes much, much deeper, right, than just the bad things that we accidentally do. The problem is our hearts and no matter how many animals you kill to cover your sin, it doesn't change your heart. The sacrifice in the Old Testament of animals, it just wasn't enough. So then you look to the cross and you begin to see what it cost God to actually save us from sin. But then the, the question is still, but how? How can the death of one man, Jesus, solve the problem of our hard hearts and our rebellion and our sin? How did Jesus' death fix all of this? And I'll tell you why. How is the death of Jesus a sacrifice big enough? Because that one man, Jesus, is worth more than everything in the universe. Um, you read Colossians 1 describing him. He is the image of the invisible God. 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus in everything is preeminent. He's first. He is the top of the heap. He is number one. He's the most valuable. Paul says Jesus created everything. Everything exists for Jesus. Jesus holds all things together. And so Jesus, God himself, put on flesh, walked amongst his own creation, and Jesus came with one purpose in mind, to go to his death on a cross, to lay down his life, to spill his blood for us. Jesus was offering a sacrifice when he deliberately came into Jerusalem where he knew that death awaited him. We looked at that on Sunday. He knew what he was coming into. Jesus allowed himself to be sacrificed. He refused to resist. He did not fight back. And Jesus himself became the sacrifice for us. Uh, Colossians 1 verses 19 to 23 goes on to say, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So you see, even Hebrews tells us, well, the blood of goats and, and animals and, and sheep and bulls, it actually doesn't fix the heart problem, right? Sure, it covers your sin, and something has to die to pay for your sin. That's how, that's how serious sin is, but it doesn't fix the heart issue. Therefore, Jesus came, and he willingly gives himself as a sacrifice for humanity, but his sacrifice is different because he is God himself, willingly dying for us. And on the cross, your sin and my sin and and humanity's sin was placed onto Jesus. And listen, it crushed him. Your sin, maybe even from this week, was placed onto Jesus and it crushed his soul. And not only that, but then the justice and wrath And hatred of sin that God has was poured out onto Jesus, and it crushed him further still. So beyond the physical pain and the brutality of crucifixion, Jesus went through hell on the cross. And he's our sacrifice. But here's where it's different. Jesus' death is different because we're told that it was once and for all Nothing further can be done and nothing further needs to be done. The action taken by Jesus has altered our situation before God. There's now no barrier for for those in Christ Jesus because he's done it. See, in the old system, you would would kill an animal and that would cover your sin. But as soon as you sinned again, ah, got to kill another animal and I got to shed blood again. And Jesus comes and his sacrifice is so immense that there is no need for more sacrifice. 
Nothing further can be done and nothing further needs to be done. Christ has done it. He's died for the ungodly. He died for the unrighteous. And he gave his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. So as you understand this, hopefully you can see why we call the death of Jesus on a cross Good Friday. Because it is a beautiful sacrifice. Jesus has satisfied the wrath and the justice of God against our sin. He paid the price so that you and I could be accepted by God and welcomed into his family. And being a Christian, therefore, means following Jesus. But it doesn't mean that you're trying to pay for your sin on your own. That's the old system, right? But many Christians live like that. It's like, Jesus, his death brings me to zero, so I'm, I'm forgiven now, and I'm brought to zero, but now it's up to me to kind of justify myself and, and earn my salvation and earn God's favor. Wrong. Following Jesus means you simply place your trust in what Jesus has already done. It doesn't mean trying to be good enough and trying to obey enough and giving enough and serving enough. Jesus has done it. Nothing can be done further, and nothing needs to be done further. It is finished. And so being a Christian means just believing by faith that God has done it, that Jesus has done it, that he's paid for your sin. It's receiving that gift of salvation. I mean, that's why we call this day Good Friday. That's why Jesus' sacrifice is a beautiful sacrifice for you and for me. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We want to sing one more song in closing. Um, but I know many of you here are already followers of Jesus. Um, and, and, you know, as you're hearing the gospel, you're like, yes, amen. But listen, there's a few different ways that we, we fall into ditches. Many of you go, yes, I believe that Jesus died for me. But then you actually don't live like it. One, you, either many of us live in just licentiousness and sin because we go, hey, sweet, my sin's been paid for. I can do whatever I want. Or many of us live in legalism where we go, okay, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, but now I got to earn it, and I got to show that I'm worthy, and I got to earn God's favor, and I'm, I'm doing my part. Both of those ditches are wrong. Listen, brother, sister, if you're a Christian, rest in Jesus. He's done it. And then out of the overflow of your heart, with thankfulness for what he's done, then you obey him because you long to please him, not to, to earn your salvation, but because you have it. And then some of you in this room, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've come because this is a family thing that you do, uh, but you, you just need to hear. If you are not a follower of, of Jesus, you actually have no freedom, real freedom in life. The Bible would say you're a slave to sin. You are under the judgment of God. But you don't have to be, right? Jesus has paid for you to freely come into God's family and accept salvation and grace and mercy and adoption to be welcomed in. And so would you do that this morning? Just say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. I accept your gift of salvation. So, Father, I thank you that you gave us such a beautiful sacrifice. Um, Jesus, we, we as humanity made a mess of your good creation. 
Um, we believed lies about you, God, and we rebelled against you, and our hearts became hard and wicked. And, and God, you had every right to say, enough, I'm done with all this. And yet you are such a good and faithful and kind God that you sent your son Jesus to live a life of perfect obedience that none of us can ever even dream of doing. And Jesus, you willingly went to the cross to pay the ultimate price, to give your very life for us, to shed your blood so that we could be forgiven. But it was so different from all of these other sacrifices in the history of humanity because Jesus, you came and once and for all, you purchased our salvation. There is no need to sacrifice anymore. You've done it. So I pray for those in this room that are followers of you, Jesus, that we would never tire of hearing of our salvation because th that's it. That is our anchor. That is our rock. That is what we cling to. It's you, Jesus. I pray that we would never go, yeah, I know the story. I've heard it before. But that we would go, yes, that is my Savior. And then for those in this room that don't know you, Jesus, uh, no, no mere words will convince anyone to surrender to you. It is an act of your Holy Spirit to soften their heart and open their eyes. But I pray that now, even in this moment, Holy Spirit, you would do that. Would you open people's eyes to realize their need of a Savior and that they would turn to you, Jesus, and accept what you've done for them. So we just worship you, Jesus, and we thank you for your sacrifice for us. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.